Just give us one hour, and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. If you hear something that you like, connect with us. We love hearing from our listeners. Follow me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen or HH Talk Radio, and you can even tweet at us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Alrighty, let's get to it. We are busy, busy people on this planet. We are busy doing a lot and perhaps not getting enough out of our efforts. So today we're talking about creativity, productivity, and reclaiming a life that is perhaps more comfortable. And with us this morning is loving husband to his wonderful wife, Anna, and the adoring father of three bright, beautiful little boys, Benjamin, Lucas, and Sebastian. We don't normally introduce our guests like this, but it's important because Ari Mizell is a family man first and foremost. He is an author, a speaker, coach, and creator of Less Doing, More Living, an effective set of practices and principles designed to help the overwhelmed that would be most of us become more effective. Good morning, Ari. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for having me. That was a very nice introduction. Ah, well, it's all you. And I, I think it's important to point out that you started out your professional life in a more rigorous academic environment. You graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. You attended the Wharton School, uh, the prestigious Wharton School, and you began your professional career as a real estate developer. Yes, I think rigorous academics is being very generous with me, but thank you. Um, I, was, uh, I was not the best uh, academic example, I'd say, but yes, I did go to Wharton. I graduated a year early with two majors and two minors, but um, it was... Uh, 
it was it was a wonderful experience in itself. And then yes, I got out and I started working in construction. I went upstate New York. I went to upstate New York to a place called Binghamton to visit a friend, where he showed me these old buildings that looked like warehouse. Well, they were cigar warehouses from the 1880s, and it looked just like Soho in New York City back in the 80s. And I uh, that's where I grew up. So I basically decided to buy those buildings and build lofts in Binghamton, and I started working in construction. And then life intervened, as, as it often does. You know, we often set up our lives with a plan, much like this interview this morning where we thought we were going to have smooth and quiet um, Wi-Fi reception, and your Wi-Fi went down in your house. What happened in your personal life that derailed you from your plan? Sure. So, yes, and I, and I apologize again for everybody about the, uh, the Wi-Fi. But uh, after working in a very unhealthy lifestyle, I was you know, working 18 hours a day or so. I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I was eating a lot of fast food, drinking, uh, not sleeping very much. I, I, I pretty much broke my body and received a diagnosis of Crohn's disease when I was 24, I think, 23 or 24. Uh, and for those who don't know, Crohn's is a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract. It's very, very painful and considered to be incurable. And I was pretty quickly put on a host of medicines, uh, 16 different pills a day. And I kept getting sicker and weaker. Mm. And this took you off course. You decided to evaluate your life. And then what happened? Well, so... Uh, there were a couple compounding factors, but basically one night I ended up in the, I mean, I'd been in the hospital a number of times, but one night I was in the hospital and I really thought I was going to die. I probably wasn't realistically, but I was in so much pain and I was so like, it was such a low point and I thought I was going to die and I made it through the night and I decided I had to do something different and I went on this long journey of self-tracking and self-experimentation and I got off my meds after four months and then went on to compete in my first triathlon. And there were a few factors that led to the next sort of chapter in my life, which was to create a new system of productivity called less doing. And the, the two factors, one is that I realized after I figured out the nutrition, supplements, and fitness aspects of my, my physical body and my illness, I realized that there was a big part of the illness that was still affected by stress. And stress is a, uh, a well-documented inflammatory component. And my, my approach to attacking the stress in a systematic way was to create a new system of productivity. And I wanted to help people optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their lives, including their health, so that they could be more effective. But the other side of that coin was that there were days that I was so weak and so sick that I, after coming from a background of working you know, 18 hours a day in construction, I found myself barely able to eke out an hour of work a day, which, which really begs the philosophical question that I still ask today when I give presentations to individuals and companies is what would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? And I had to thrive. I had a, a, a wife and I, I had kids coming. You know, I, I, there was, it wasn't really an option for me other than to figure out a completely new methodology to get more done than I'd ever done before. And, and the thing is, is that an hour a day is a very, very different proposition than what would you do if you can only work an hour less a day. Indeed. And I think that this is where the concept of achievement architect comes in. This is something that you've been called. And you described to me what this means. I mean, I have an image in my mind of you as the achievement architect and certainly what it means to be an achievement architect in my own mind. But 
How does one do that? So, as I said, you know, I created this completely new methodology of, or this new framework for productivity. And what I truly believe is that 95% of the things that you do on a daily basis, and this applies to you and to me, it's an ongoing process, but 95% of those things can be done by other people or other things. And it's really that 5% that I believe we all possess that is your unique ability that only you can do and do better than anybody else that I want you to be able to focus on. And that is really the basis for achievement architecture where you are architecting the life, the, the, the plan, the business that you need to be able to focus on your 5%. Because in my opinion, that is the best way that you can service yourself, your family, and, and your community at large. So it's a combination of, from what I hear, is uh, isolating your, your creative genius, your, your true gifts, and mobilizing them, but at the same time learning to optimize, automate, and outsource, as you describe, all these other tasks perhaps that um, don't align with that. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Uh, I, I really want you to be able to focus on your highest and best work. And, and a lot of that is a real psychological journey in recognizing that you can let go of certain things and you don't have to do certain things. And it doesn't take away from who you are. It only enhances who you are. So let's talk about somebody who comes with limited financial resources. Maybe they're just out of college. Maybe they've gone through a financial reversal. Maybe they just are not from um, a, a large income family. How right. do you describe that optimizing uh, and outsourcing? Because people might say, well, whoa, I don't have the money to outsource everything. I need to do it all myself. That's good because the, that outsourcing is the third, last, and hopefully avoidable step of the whole process. Uh, I really, that, and it's, I'm glad you bring that up because one of the problems with outsourcing is that a lot of people try to do it first, and that is exactly the same as sweeping the dirt under the rug. It does not get rid of the problem; it just pushes it farther down the line, and eventually that line will back up if you don't optimize first. Which, in my mind, really means identifying the steps in the problem and looking at areas of inefficiency as the process currently exists. And then the second part is to automate, and that can be, that's in the vein of set it and forget it. So what systems or services can I put in place that will do this, and I don't have to think about it. And honestly, most of those nowadays are free. And then if there's anything left over, that's the first time we look at outsourcing it to some sort of specialist or generalist. So I actually, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, I outsource probably a thousand or more things a month, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. But I do everything I can to try to avoid it. So what are the nine fundamentals of the less doing system? Bless you, by the way. Thank you. So the, uh, the first one is it's the 80-20. I, I have to, fair warning, like I was not, I didn't know anything about marketing when I named these things. And I if I could rename them at this point, I would, because the names are, are sort of uh, uh, a little deflecting from what they actually are. But, so the first one is the 80-20 rule which is really about self-tracking and optimizing at, at, with what you have. The second fundamental is creating an external brain, which is about offloading the thoughts in your brain in a, in a way that makes sense and a system that you can recall them from and possibly have actions from. But most importantly, it's just getting idea flow. The third is customization, where we live in a world where products are made for everybody and everything. And there, if you ever find yourself using something and said, oh, I wish it had this, or this is great, but I wish it was just a little different, that can be achieved much more easily than people think now. The fourth one is the, 
choose your own work week, which is really about learning your timing and how everybody has a better time and place to do everything and a worse place. Hey, Ari? Yes. Hey, Ari, I'm going to jump in here because speaking of choosing your own work, work week, uh, we are going to need to go to a break in a minute. So I want to just have you hold that thought at the fourth point, choose your own work week. And when we come back, we'll cover the other five because I want to also give our listeners information on how to reach you. The website for Ari Mizell is lessdoing.com. Once again, that's lessdoing.com. The Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell. And you also have a regional TED Talk about um, your process. And I, I think that this is very interesting. And so our listeners can also go to TED.com and input your name in the search, which is Ari Mizell, and see a little bit more about what you are speaking of. And the um, he is our achievement architect in the house at Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation with Ari Mizell on the nine fundamentals of the less doing system. What does it really mean to optimize, automate, and outsource one's life? Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Love is in the air, in the whisper of the tree. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the art of doing less, getting more, reclaiming life, and one's productivity with Ari Mizell, who is coming to us straight from a coffee house in New York City. This is a perfect example of when life doesn't go according to plan, what do we do? We adjust, and that is just what we are doing this morning. So, Ari, prior to the break, we were talking, we began to speak about the nine fundamentals of the less doing system, about optimizing, automating, and outsourcing our lives to create a more efficient, creative, and joyful life. You told us about the 80-20 tracking, um, creating an external brain or brain dumping, core dumping, customization, and choosing your work week. What's next? So the fifth fundamental is uh, well. Okay, so well, choose your own work week. I, I, did I finish on choose your own work week? By the way, uh, I think we can probably 
Yeah, I'll we do. on that one. Wait, okay, well, gingerbread work is really just about learning how there's better and worse times for you to do different kinds of activities in your life. Uh, the, the fifth fundamental is stop running errands, which is pretty straightforward. You know, uh, their errands are not efficient no matter what. And uh, even if you think, like, you can pick the better route to get there, then it just still doesn't quite work that way. So basically it's about uh, using services that will get basic things delivered to you or uh, figuring out more efficient ways to use resources that you have. And I, that one's much more consumer-based. Um, then the next fundamental, uh, the sixth fundamental, is batching. And with batching, we're really talking about putting together similar activities so that you can gain sort of, you can benefit from economies of scale, essentially. So you get to grease the groove and you're not constantly switching back and forth between different tasks. The seventh fundamental is organization. And that's, in my philosophy, the easiest way to get more organized is to set artificially restrictive limits on yourself and work backwards from those to find that solution. So whether that's a certain amount of clothing or a certain amount of paperwork or a certain amount of emails, doesn't matter. You can use a limit and, and figure out the systems that you need to put in place to make that work. Uh, the eighth fundamental is finances, and it's really about uh, identifying where your money's going, how you're spending it, how you can use it more efficiently. And then there's also things about selling knowledge in there and knowledge products. And then the ninth fundamental is wellness. You know, my journey began with wellness, so it makes sense that the capstone should be wellness. And when we talk about wellness, we're talking about mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness, all dimensions? Uh, yes, absolutely. And for somebody who has not made wellness a priority, um, it does not take a health crisis to guide one in that direction. I mean, it really is. It is the cornerstone of, of our being. If we are not well, we, can, we, we cannot achieve productivity. Well, that, right. So basically what I say is, look, no matter how technologically efficient I might be able to help you become, if you're not eating well, you're not sleeping right, and you have too much stress, there's just simply a limit to how effective you can possibly be. So how do you get someone on course? Somebody comes to you and says, Ari, help me, help me become more productive with my life. So, you know, fortunately, a lot of people are pretty good at identifying the things that do cause a lot of those problems, like if you ask somebody what their biggest productivity challenge is, you know, whether it's email or uh, phone calls or commuting, a lot of people are able to, to self-identify and then I can start attacking those. When someone really is just overwhelmed and they really don't know why, then I, I do a little bit of a day in the life, you know, and I try to walk through like how they're spending their time and things, the things that they're doing. And the, the sort of like a playground for me is when somebody says that, they don't even know what they would outsource, so they don't even, you know, <laughs> oh, I, everything I do, I have to do myself. I, I love when someone says that because I can show them in about 15 seconds how that's not true, <laughs> depending on what they're doing. And you just look, th you look at the things that they do on a regular basis. So you tell me something that you do more than twice, it takes you more than 10 minutes, or you don't like doing it, and we can figure out a way to not have that be a part of your life. It's funny. Uh, around my house, we call that the 3750 rule. So if, it, 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 if one values one's uh, time, let's say take $150 an hour and it takes more than 15 minutes of your time to figure out how to do something or repeat that task and you're not loving it and you can't do it well, it's time to outsource it. It's cheaper to send it out than to do it oneself because you could be doing other things that are productive uh, and more joyful 
Yeah, and but you know, it's also a learning process. That's the thing is when you're looking at constantly, you know, self improvement and, and uh, striving for excellence and 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 doing more and better or doing better rather. It's an it's a learning experience in terms of how you effectively delegate things. So when you were in your healing portion of your illness and you were working an hour a day. Give us an example of how you might have prioritized your time in that hour. Sure. So I, for one thing, I, I at this point, I mean, I deal with my email probably 30 times a day, and that, which is funny when someone, when I tell people that, everyone thinks that people who are productive check their email like twice a day, which is not true. Uh, that actually makes things much more stressful. I love my email and I'm very, very efficient with it. So I would spend as much of that time routing as much as possible through email because email for me was something that I could do very, very quickly and effectively and there's a whole system for doing that. But like voicemails, you know, I, I don't get voicemails. I use a service called Answer Connect. If somebody calls my phone and they get to a voicemail, they're going to get a person and the person will take a message from them and then that message will come to me by SMS or email. So I'm not wasting time listening to voicemails or making phone calls that were unnecessary. I really had to train almost the people that I dealt with to be able to communicate with me by email as much as possible. Uh, and then there were, you know, there's things where you have to decide that there's projects that you just can't take on right now. And it's a lot of it is about saying no. Everybody tries to take on too much stuff and then they end up threading themselves way too thin. I think the no word, because we are taught, it, 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 in general, for creative people, people who like to produce to get things done, we're taught that, you know, just say yes to life, right? Say yes to life, take it on, get it done. Boom, you're, you know, you're there. But the reality of it is learning how to artfully say no and to discern when it is appropriate to say no is part of this productivity process. Exactly. Well, that's what the 80-20 rule is, really. My, my first fundamental is about identifying how you're using your time and how you're spending and, and what it allows you to do is determine the difference between the essential and the optional. And that's a hard one for people to grasp sometimes, but the essential is the stuff you have to do. You have to read, you have to call, you, you have to do it, it's essential. But the optional stuff is not junk, it's just that you have to accept that there are certain things that you'd like to do, but you can't do them unless you have the time. And if you don't have the time, they should not be in your, in your view, in your mind, and to be out of sight, out of mind. Well, to me, one of the most um, valuable tips that you've given from where I'm sitting is about the external brain. You know, creating a vehicle for a core dump, for a brain dump, where all the ideas, all the to-dos, all of the wish list can be harnessed. It can be stored so we don't have to keep it in our brains. Well, it's also, it's more than that, is that it's not just about like making space. It's that ideas really need flow. That's what people don't realize is that uh, if, if you don't get ideas out of your head, good or bad, you're not going to be able to create new ones, essentially. Like, there's a limited, there's a reason that phone numbers are seven digits. You know, we can only hold on to a certain amount of information at, a, at any time. So when we are able to purge what's going on in our mind and get it down, whether it's in a journal, whether it's in a, 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 an ongoing list in our notes section of our phone, some place that can hold this data that we can refer back to, to, to see how we're doing, kind of like a, a checklist, but also just get those creative, great ideas out of the mind so we can begin to um, implement them. And, you know, put it this way, for every 10 or for every nine Bad, you know, quote unquote, bad ideas that you get out. The tenth one may be great, 
And that could be because those nine ideas added up to the good idea, or it could be because those nine ideas got out of the way of the good idea. And yes, it really does work that way. So for everybody who's listening who wants to increase your productivity, but also I would say the quality of the creativity, you know, that there, it does up, up the creativity when we're able to flow these ideas on the page. And I do tell my own clients, you know, even make a vis- visual representation of what it is that's going on. You know, if, you, if you're not good at writing or journaling or, you know, bullet listing, you can, you know, just create a visual image. Cutouts from magazines, little snapshots you take during the day, you know, when you're out and about on your phone. Something that um, memorializes that creative spark, that fire. Yeah, absolutely. And what about customization? Talk about that because that's an interesting one. Yeah, so again, you know, I said this before, but like if you if you find yourself using a product or service and you, you say to yourself, oh, this is awesome, but I wish it had this, or, you know, this is great, uh, I just wish it didn't do this, that kind of thing. Like now, that could be software, that could be a piece of clothing, that could be a, a nutrition bar. You can get pretty much anything you want custom made now. Uh, there's a company called U-Bars that will make custom-made nutrition bars. And it's a good example because that's something that everybody can try as a consumer. And that may not sound on the, back, on the face of it like a productivity thing, but it really is because if you think about it, if you're on a specific diet or you're training for an event, uh, you know, an athlete, you don't want to be spending time, especially when you're traveling, trying to get, like, find the right place to eat or find the thing. Why not have a perfectly made nutrition bar just for you with you at all times so you have like a base of – it's almost like insurance. I couldn't agree with you more and I can give you a fantastic example. We have been doing this show for more than five years and it is a it, – it takes a tremendous amount of administrative production time to produce these shows. So we began several months ago writing uh, a program – and we have a product that we are beta testing right now called Pod Prodder that allows us to automate probably 90% of our administrative production process. And that was out of need. It was like, you know what? We have only X amount of hours in the day. We have a lot of people that we need to get to, a lot of connections that need to be made. How do we harness all of that and be more effective so we're not hunting around for documentation in the computer all day, which is what we were doing? And its necessity becomes the mother of invention. Well, and so I, I actually, my podcast used to take me 15 hours per episode to do uh, with all the work involved. And now it takes me an hour and everything else is automated. I have like a 14-step process that's automated and outsourced to do everything for my podcast. So I can focus on the 5% that only I can do, which is the recording. Right. And the, and, and the connection and the, and the, the interconnectivity the of what makes doing these shows so so yeah, so so pleasurable, so so joyful. So exactly. I'm speaking to the right guy about this customization process. Then. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Next, choose your work week. I think this one is tremendous. So nine to five is out the window for the creatives. I think. Well, so my work week is Mondays and Wednesdays from nine thirty to four thirty. Beautiful. Cool. Let that sink in. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, that, I'm sinking in. <laughs> uh, and that's very, you know, that's much more than my hour a day. But I, I, I'm extremely productive in those two days, and the rest of the time I spent with my family, basically. And yeah, maybe I could get more done, and maybe I could grow my company a little faster if I worked another day. But it's just, it's 
not worth it to me, and I, I'm not giving anything up by doing these two days. In fact, I am a powerhouse for those you know several hours. It's it's really amazing. I like instantly get into flow state and I maintain it for several hours, and then I get a break in between, and then I and then I do it again, and I I love it. Well, you are a powerhouse. You're a you really are a powerhouse, and uh, demonstrating the power of creativity, flexibility and connectivity coming to us live from New York City in a coffee house because your Wi-Fi went down and we really appreciate you joining us and I want to give our listeners the um, connection information once again that is lessdoing.com you've been listening to R.A. Mizell talk about his story talk about how he developed nine fundamentals of the less doing system you can connect with him on Twitter at R.A. Mizell that's A-R-I-M-E-I-S-E-L Ari, you have been a pleasure, and I love these tips. Once again, it's 80-20 tracking, creating um, external brain, customization, choose your work week, stop running errands, batching activities, organizing yourself, the financial aspect, and of course, we can't forget probably the most important, Ari, and that's the wellness, right? Exactly. Thank you. To take good care. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Saturday afternoons on 97.5. Joy riding the coast with a global vibe, pleasing your ears and inspiring your mind. Joy riding the coast with me, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Saturdays, 2 to 5, on 97.5. KBU and RadioMalibu.net. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about creativity, productivity, and reclaiming our lives in terms of being effective and efficient in the way we do our work in the world. And with me now in the studio is Dr. Josh Davis. He is the author of Two Awesome Hours, Science-Based Strategies to Harness Your Best Time and Get Your Most Important Work Done. Josh holds a bachelor's degree from Brown University and a PhD from Columbia University. His past work has included mechanical engineering, 
teaching at a Brooklyn public high school and serving on the faculty of the Department of Psychology at Barnard College of Columbia University. Currently, he is the director of research and lead professor for the Neuro Leadership Institute. He also coaches and trains individuals in the art of public speaking and managing being overwhelmed. His writing has appeared in the Harvard Business Review, Huffington Post, Strategy and Business, Training and Development, People and Strategy, the Neuro Leadership Journal, and Psychology Today. He also co-edits the Neuro Leadership Journal. Welcome, Josh. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. It is great to have you with us because the, the, the subject of harnessing productivity, efficiency, creativity, or actually tapping into greater creativity through the efficiency process is something I think that many of us who love to create um, are interested in. And this is, this is what I contribute to helping us harvest greater happiness. How can we be more efficient with our time? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a really nice way of looking at it. Usually with creativity, I think, people are just talking about, uh, you know, how can I think differently, um, but less, less so about how can I set up the conditions so that I'm going to be at my best, so that my, my mind, that my brain is going to be functioning optimally, that my, you know, body and, and brain are going to be interacting in the ways that they need to. But we are biological creatures, and... Uh, you know, we have to take into account our physiology. We have to take into account fatigue and uh, emotions and food and exercise. These things actually contribute quite a bit to the conditions that are going to allow us to really be at our best. Um, and and one thing I was discovering in particular is that those it's it's probably smart for us to focus on short periods of being at our best rather than just trying to do it all the time. And this sort of begs the discussion of efficiency versus effectiveness. Yes. That, that, that the short bursts that you're talking about are smaller periods of time of engaging in a focused activity in flow, perhaps, um, will yield us a more effective result. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, overall, the efficiency you may have out of a week can go up even if you are uh, not focused on being efficiency, mo- being efficient moment to moment. That instead, uh, you know, that efficiency focus. That's that's a great model if what you're dealing with is a computer or machine, something that is going to give you the same output every time you run it. Right? You, then you should just run it as often as you can, fill up the hours. But human beings just don't work that way. We can be remarkably effective. We can do you know unthinkable things sometimes. Uh, certainly, very useful and creative things. Um, for short periods of time, you know, you have those that that thirty-minute period or that two or three-hour period when you figure out just how, let's say, in the case of a radio show like this, that you, that you really want to, let's say, organize the show and have the different speakers on back to back, what themes you want to tackle, and then I don't know about you, I can have a couple of days in a row where I'm where I'm fairly worthless. I'm not getting anything big done that really matters, but there's a lot of work that doesn't need my best time. That is fairly routine, you know, filling out papers, getting back to certain people, you know, that kind of stuff can be done when I'm not at my best. And so I, I can learn to, to save my best time for the stuff that really matters, as well as learn to set up conditions for more periods of really being at my best. So short periods of high effectiveness seem to fit well with how human beings work. 
And I like what you what you said about these short periods of time, because we're not talking about hours and hours. We're talking about maybe that 30 minutes or an hour where we really are able to dial in. And oftentimes we can surprise ourselves with the effectiveness of what comes out of that burst. Yeah. And, and I think that lends itself to a totally new way of working that it's not something you need to study for years and have, you know, learn how to master a whole new set of technology, but a new way of working that just stems from this one simple idea that, you know, for so long we've been trying to focus on how do I just pack in the hours. That tends to lead to feeling even more overwhelmed. So it, it comes from a place of feeling totally overwhelmed, that working all the time and still feeling bad about ourselves. But then, so we say, okay, I just, I'm just going to work all the time. But that's that efficiency model where we're just trying to get more hours in. Instead, when we do this, what we can end up doing is actually working less uh, because it's easier to get to the stuff that really matters and also have the perspective about how having some time, some downtime, some time off, some uh, time for your mind to wander in between tasks, that that's actually going to help you be more effective when you get down to work, ultimately enabling you to be quicker with the work. So it's sort of the very same things that let us set up these conditions are also going to help us have greater work-life balance. So it becomes a cycle that helps us really get out of the, the, the trap of being overwhelmed by work. What happens to us in our brains when we allow ourselves that wandering, that musing? What what, what either shuts down or what is activated? And why is that such an effective gift to ourselves? Oh, yeah. So I think there's two reasons why it's so effective. One has to do with what we get when we let our minds wander. And the other has to do with what we're not doing uh, in, instead. So I would say it usually comes up like this. You're trying to work, sitting there, focused on some you know, a presentation or something to write or some document or a contract, right? Something that needs your attention and you're, you're trying to sit still and work on it. 15, 20 minutes go by and you find yourself drifting. Very common. If that happens to you, it means that your brain is functioning properly. <laughs> it means that you're, you're a well-adapted human being, right? So when that happens, though, what you can do is either shift to do something fun or distracting or, quote, worthwhile, like checking email. Um, but maybe it's just checking Facebook or, you know, reading some, you know, some website that, that you like, some blog that you like, right? So we can go and check these things, our distractions, going shopping online, whatever it is that you do. That's <laughs> probably going to get you sucked in. <laughs> I'm not judging. We all have something. You know. <laughs> that's going to get you sucked in and you can easily lose a half hour, maybe even more, you know, an hour, right? Very easy to lose time there. Also, when you're doing that, you're concentrating hard. There's, uh, it may be fun, but there's still a lot of information that you're taking in. And that information is going to block your mind from wandering. And now you may be saying, well, why do, why do I care? Why do I need to have my mind wander? Well, some pretty amazing things happen when, when our minds wander. Um, one of them, and when I say mind-wandering, I mean daydreaming, same thing, just that your you, you mind is drifted and you're not thinking about what you were working on. Some of the things that happen are that it increases the integration between neural circuits that have to do with executive function, also more you can think about goal focus, uh, and social thinking, 
social processing, thinking about ourselves and others. Most of the time, it's one or the other active. But when we mind wander, they integrate. They're both sets of circuits are active, and they they get integrated. That's so that doesn't happen very often. So it's a chance to really integrate parts of our mental lives that wouldn't be integrated. Mind wandering also helps with coming up with a creative solution to something that you were working on before. It doesn't just make you creative, more creative in general, uh, but it makes you more creative about what you were working on before. There's background processing. There's non-conscious links that are forming that can come forward after mind wandering that if we're taking in more information and concentrating, we, we block that from happening. It also helps us plan for the future, and this is happening non-consciously in the background. We're sort of imagining where things are going. Minds, when they start to wander, they start to wander to the future. We just sort of think about how we want to be living our lives to make things work out how we want them to work out. People tend to focus on the positive and have an optimistic view when they go to the future. You might think of, of uh, those famous ads that uh, Dan Gilbert has been doing with uh, Prudential. Mm-hmm. And, right? It, and, yep. uh, yeah, and mind wandering also helps people step away from getting caught up in the moment of a, of a decision and reframe things, rethink them so that it's easier to hold out, to delay gratification. So there's a lot of things that mind wandering does that are very useful for being productive. If you let your mind wander for a few minutes, let's say you stare out the window, that's a great way to do it, or you look at some art on the wall. Those are great things to do because they distract you, so you're, you're, not, you're, you're likely to be distracted enough so that you're not thinking about what you were doing, but there's not much information to take in. So instead, your mind can wander most effectively. What I really like about it is after a few minutes, you're going to drift back. You, know, there's, you don't get caught up in that forever. After a few minutes, you know, it becomes less interesting, so you drift back, you're ready to work far more effectively, and you're back to work far more quickly. So it's, it's a very different way of looking at mind wandering. It's a real tool. It's a tool we can use, and it beats the alternative by a mile. Oh, I can see that this is a, a real tool and really one that needs to be presented in the clients that we work with because they feel oftentimes that they're not on task or they're not on point, that somehow they are slipping or not being able to achieve their goals in a timely fashion when, in fact, what I hear you say is this is a useful tool to giving the mind, giving the brain a break, stimulating creativity, activating both sides of the brain, which in, in fact helps us make better decisions and um, makes us more effective in the long run. Yep, you got it. Definitely. What about exercise and the role that it plays in the effectiveness process? Mm. Exercise is, um, as far as I'm concerned, a magic bullet. It is something that, uh, you know, it's, it's the perfect reset button. There's a way yep. of thinking about exercise that uh, often comes up when we're talking, you know, about the long term. Uh, you know, when we think of exercise, we tend to talk about, well, maybe I'll look better down the line. I, you know, it'll make me healthier, less likely to have heart disease and things like that. And maybe indirectly lead to less stress. And if we have, if there's less stress, well, then... Well, then indirectly through that, maybe I'll work more effectively. But there's nothing really telling you about, you know, how you, you can't be sure that if you just exercise on a regular basis. But there's a different way of talking about exercise. And I see the countdown suggesting that we need to take a break. So I'll save that for right when we come back. Um, there's a different way of looking at exercise that can be quite useful. 
Josh, you are my dream guest today. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, and the website to reach Josh Davis is twoawesomehours.com. On Facebook, it's Josh Davis PhD, and on Twitter, that handle is Josh Davis PhD. Here from the back. If you feel like happiness is the truth, like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. So good. Welcome so back good. to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's free, it's kind, it's legal, and we're talking about enhancing performance, creativity, and effectiveness and efficiency in our lives. And with me today is Dr. Josh Davis. He is the author of Two Awesome Hours, Science-Based Strategies to Harness Your Best Time and get your most important work done. So Josh, prior to the break, we were talking about the value of exercise, not just for our physical bodies, but how it impacts our brains and our efficiency and effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, you know, very briefly, what I was saying just before the break was that we think of exercise in the long term. Maybe it'll help me ultimately be less stressed and therefore maybe I'll be able to work more productively. But it's not a one-to-one. We can't be guaranteed on any particular day that the exercise is going to help us. There's a totally different way of thinking of exercise that there's plenty of research for. It's just that we don't often talk about it. It's just not part of the narrative usually. And the exercise, uh, the way of thinking of exercise uh, that we can start to focus on, that I really want to encourage people to focus on, is to think about the short term, to think about how exercise will affect your mood in the next 30 minutes or the next hour, maybe even the next half day. How exercise is going to affect your concentration, your attention. Right? These are consequences of exercise that have been documented with a number of studies, actually. There are meta-analyses looking at you know, over 100 studies. So this, this is something that's been well-researched. It's just that it's not usually part of the narrative. 
that in that space, it's remarkably reliable. Exercise is one of the more reliable things that I'm aware of for reducing anxiety in the moment. So, and when you can reduce the anxiety, then you can show up and just be present. You can let the small things go. You can stay focused more easily. You can stay, you know, you can pay attention more to the things that really matter to you. So it's, if you have a really important work session coming up, let's say it's a presentation to the C-suite in the company, you know, or maybe it's something really important in your life. It's a date that you really want to get just right, you know. Or if you have, uh, you know, some work that it's, it's tough for you to figure out how to do, you know that you really want to be your best for it, a little bit of exercise. And we're not talking about killing yourself either. This is a, another way that the narrative is a little bit different than what we usually hear. Often people brag about, you know, how hard they work out. And I'm sure there are benefits to that. But this is talking about moderate exercise. This is talking about 20 minutes jogging on the treadmill, you know, or outside. This is talking about walking up and down the stairs for 15 minutes. This is maybe a brisk walk. Uh, on you know for for forty minutes or so you 'll sweat a little bit you know, and breathe heavily, but this is not killing yourself. Moderate exercise very reliable for reducing anxiety and helping with concentration so you know I build it in now that I know this, I build it into my preparation when I have uh, you know let 's say a big presentation coming up, even if I have to i 'll jog in place in a hotel room for ten minutes. you know something to get a little bit of that. It makes, makes a huge difference. And if you've just been through a part of the day that was really tough and has gotten you into a place where it's hard for you to concentrate or you're feeling really anxious, then a little bit of moderate exercise can be a great way to hit the reset button going forward for the rest of the day. It's, it's just sort of an ace in your pocket all the time. And not to mention, it's a great anti natural antidepressant. You know, people who tend to run on the depressed side, I know that we often tell them to go out and exercise, get some sunshine, be out in nature, get the benefits of the vitamins from the sun, being outside, elevating your heart rate a little bit, and watch for your mood to, to smooth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, secretly I have this hope that people will start exercising more for the short-term benefits, and as a result, they'll also get the long-term benefits. You know, that if you're doing it just to get yourself ready for work or just to get yourself ready for date night, you know, that, that, you know, then you're going to be doing it all the time, you know, even if it's just little bits of exercise here, here and there. But of course, as a result, you end up getting the long-term benefits. What about setting aside time for hobbies, actually calendaring in pleasurable activities? Because that's something that we tend to deny ourselves or reward ourselves with when we've completed our to-do list. And I think you're suggesting something a little bit different. I am, actually. Now, the hobbies can include many, many things. For some people, there's a hobby which is really to them, you know, what, what makes them happy. You know, this is, uh, let's say someone is doing creative work, uh, making music, and their job is not something that they you know, particularly love. It's something that they've also, at this point, it's fairly rote. They know how to do it. They can do it in their sleep and do just fine, right? For that person, what I'm going to suggest is, you know, what is most important to you is actually the hobby. In that case, uh, you know, think about sometimes during the week that, uh, you know, that you can set yourself up for a period of really solid productivity for that hobby. That, 
you know, that that can be a great thing to do. Now, for other people, they, they do get joy out of their work, and it is still something they're learning how to do, right? And so they do really need a lot of their good mental energy for that work, in which case the hobbies can serve as a way to prepare them so that they're likely to come back to work the next day and be refreshed. So, you know, if we're just using the same mental resources all day long, it's kind of like trying to do push-ups all day long. You know, you can do, any one of us can do a thousand push-ups, but very few of us can do a thousand push-ups with no break. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, I think, analogous to that. So if you switch up to the hobby, if the hobby is too similar to what you do at work mentally, the same kinds of mental tasks, then it's probably going to be draining and get in the way. But if there's, you know, in which case then I would say carve out some of your work time for your hobby. But if it's something different, if it's something social, if it's something like cooking, if it's something musical, you know, if it's something different where you're using different different parts of your mind, then it's a it's a really fantastic way to break it up. It's kind of like cross training in the gym. You know, if you just switch it up and take little rests and breaks, you can come back and really be ready. I think there's I the last thing I'll say on it is that I would encourage everyone to consider some ways to have little bits of their hobby scattered throughout the day uh, so that you're not just doing one thing constantly throughout the day. Taking those little micro breaks to redirect the focus to these pleasurable activities to enhance the effectiveness and efficiency in, in, in the work task, in the work environment. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. We touched upon at the beginning of this segment, or the, the first segment, of what we put into our body matters. And we didn't really get into it, but I think it's worth mentioning about how we eat, when we eat, and what we eat um, contribute as much or and differently to our energy level, our memory, and our focus. Mm-hmm. If there's one rule that came out of the research that I reviewed about the psychology, the psychological consequences of food, it's this. This is probably the biggest sort of single lesson that came out of all of that. Whatever helps you stabilize your blood sugar is going to be good for being mentally at your best. And mm-hmm. some of the things that will help you stabilize your blood sugar, actually exercise is one of them. Uh, but when, we co- when it comes to food, if you really need to be at your best, and I want to actually pause for a moment and say, we don't always need to be at our best. This is talking about how do I set up a brief period for when I really need to be on, recognizing that I don't need to be on all the time and I can't be. I can use my not-so-good time for other things. There's plenty of work that we all have that we don't really need to be at our best for. But what do I really need to be at my best for? If I've got an afternoon that's got some key meetings that I really, really want to nail or maybe even feel like I need to nail, right? and they're back-to-back, so I'm going to have a long stretch where, I, where I'm going to be taxing myself, and I'm tired. So I already am coming in a little bit low energy. A great thing to do that will help me stabilize my blood sugar through that is to take my lunch and whatever I've taken for lunch, whether it's healthy or not, cut it in half, eat half of it now, and eat half of it two hours later, rather than eating all of it now and then waiting four hours until I eat again. So just having the smaller amount twice as often is going to help me maintain for longer. So that's one thing that I can do. Another thing is recognizing that fats are quite helpful in terms of stabilizing blood sugar. So having a meal that includes fats and proteins and carbohydrates in roughly equal measure, that's going to be 
a pretty good meal. And so that's probably going to be a meal that doesn't have a whole lot of bread or candy or um, sugary drinks, you know, but that's going to be a meal that's pretty good. If it's just a little snack or just a coffee, you know, there's some interesting ways that coffee interacts with other chemicals in our bodies. If you have the coffee with some food, um, you know, if you put some cream in that coffee, the benefits actually last longer, the, that euphoric feeling, rather than just shooting up briefly for a half hour and going away, that can last for a couple of hours if you have it with that. So it's, you know, it's about finding these things that are going to help you maintain that, that stable blood sugar. By the way, with coffee, really want to stick to your dose and no more. It's been pretty reliably shown and everyone's experienced this. You know, if you have more than your dose, you just feel jittery and it becomes actually harder to concentrate. But if you, have, if you stick to your dose, whatever that dose is, then you can get the benefits of coffee and just got to wait until you're ready for another dose. Um, but when you do have it, have it with some food or have it with some cream, you know, and then you're going to get more benefits out of it. We are nearly out of time, but I have one more question, which is, I think, equally as important and a factor in the efficiency, the efficiency pursuit or the efficiency game, and that is our work environment how our surroundings impact our productivity. And I, and I would love for you just to comment briefly on this because you've got some insights that are quite helpful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a few things that we can do with our work environment that, by the way, that anyone can do. Um, it was important to me in, in doing this research for looking for things that anyone could address regardless of where they have to work, regardless of how much control they have. Uh, that was important throughout the entire book as well, not just in the workspace section. A few things that we can do are recognize that nobody can really concentrate well with noise in the background, especially with speech. So if you really need to, if you really need to do some important work, it's worth it to go off and find a quiet space, to go to a, you know, a conference room to get some noise-canceling headphones. You don't have to have them on all the time, but for the really solid work, it's going to make a difference. Bright lights are also going to make it easier to concentrate, especially if it's natural light. But light that has the blue end of the spectrum has been shown to make it easier for people to concentrate. And that's like uh, cool white light. It's got the light of a clear blue sky. And then finally, those distractions on your desk, that messy desk, those are, are grabbing your attention more than you may realize. They tap into all the social obligations that we have. They tend to be things that we need to get back to for other people they are perfectly designed to grab your attention and they are exactly the wrong thing to be around when you've set yourself down for a really solid work session. So just stack the stuff up and put it out of sight. Oh my goodness. Well, there's, there's so much information to take in and not enough time in which to take it in. So I'm going to ask that our listeners buy the book. That's all they're going to need to do is check mm -hmm. out awesomehours.com. The author is Dr. Josh Davis. You can find him on Facebook at Josh Davis PhD and on Twitter that handle is at Josh Davis PhD. Thank you, Josh, for being with us. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my wonderful guests today, Ari Mizell and Josh Davis, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Remember, happiness is an inside job. 
Happiness is your inside job. And a great shout out of appreciation to our producers who make us shine each and every week. We appreciate you. Go out and make it a great day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the TogiNet Radio Network.